Uh, Joshua chapter 18. I'm not there yet, but as um, a context for the text, um, if we could just wrap our minds around this for a moment. Um, much of the promised land, the land of Canaan, has been now divided. There are actually seven divisions left. When we we're about to read this, there are still about seven tribes that have not yet been uh, allocated their portion. And there are battles that need to be waged. It's sort of like the Lord said, it's yours, now fight for it. <laughs> well, we don't get that very often. But you have it, now fight for it. But there came a time when Joshua set up the tabernacle. They came from the other side of the Jordan, went through Jericho, and now they've set up the tabernacle. Much of the land was unsettled. The battle uh, was not fully complete. So much needed to be done. Uh, but Joshua knew that the most important matter was of worship and of sacrifice and, of course, the favor of God. And up until this time, while well, some inheritance were given out in the proper order after the setup, the enemies of Israel they were subjugated. So first really it was the setup of worship and then the enemies were conquered. It was one before the other. Okay, do you have that? Everybody got that? Now let's read one verse of scripture. Joshua 18 and verse 1. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there and the land was subdued before them. The whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And I preach today, if the house be lost. Father, I pray your blessing and anointing. Add a blessing to the preached word captivate the minds and the attention of the people who hear this arrest our attention away from the trappings of the season and let us focus focus with spiritual hearing the word of the lord that lasts forever in jesus name everybody say his name with me in jesus name say that again in jesus name amen Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I thank you for standing. I'm leading us into the very first chapter of 1 Samuel now. It's a telling description of an obscure man. 1 Samuel describes him and the reality of his life and his living, perhaps at the moment when so many people gathered around that old tabernacle to offer a sacrifice, no one would have noticed Elkanah. Though he went to make his sacrifice every year, the people were numerous and the festival was a call to remembrance for all of the land. He would have been easily hidden in the crowd. Even today, standing in a circle of Bible believers, few remember his name. Elkanah does not garnish the same notoriety of his wife, Hannah, nor of any of the great patriarchs. 
He's a blur in the light of so many biblical giants. Scrolling ahead, the New Testament has made the Lord's inner circle of disciples very popular. People know them. But Elkanah is not even the central figure in the place where he is found. But yearly, this faithful man made his way to Shiloh to offer a sacrifice. Here is the telling verse. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. Can we see that scripture again? Because that second line could have been left out. But because it was included, it made the first description of Elkanah more profound. Hmm. In spite of the obvious and well-known corruption of the high priest's sons, Elkanah journeyed to Shiloh to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. He was a faithful man while leadership was failing. How amazing it is to read of a man who gave unto the Lord without measuring the human hands that received it. And how often the measuring of such has led people to a path of anger and delusion, disenchantment and bitterness. Shiloh was the place where Elkanah and so many others had traveled That was the place where the tabernacle of Moses rested, the place of the Ark of the Covenant and all of the holy articles of God. They were purposed with anointing. It was a well-known location, assumed and accepted as a stable place. Among the Jewish community, Shiloh was called the house. They would often call it the house. It was a phrase of placement, maybe geographically or so, maybe because it housed the tabernacle or... It housed the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy article in all the land. It appears the tabernacle had been firmly planted in Shiloh some 360 plus years before it was moved to Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem was not even in Israel's line of sight in those days. It was all about Shiloh. Shiloh was the place to be. Shiloh was the direction of their lives. It drew the nation to its borders. It housed both the Ark of the Covenant and the priesthood. And most of all, it witnessed the glory of God. It happened in Shiloh, just north of Bethel. But as we come to find out, Shiloh, the location, did not last. It was lost. Peradventure died when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. And subsequently, the tabernacle was moved. However, tourism marks its spot today. There's an outline area where an old broken down rock wall encompasses a similar measurement to that of the tabernacle. It is assumed to be the location of the tabernacle for all those years in Shiloh. It might have been, they say. Grass and weeds mostly occupy the tell, except for the remaining stones sprawling aimlessly among the tundra. The city, the community, however, it has grown, but of course, 4.5 million visitors per year to the country has made all of Israel viewable. But the area where God's glory fell, well, there are no markers of remembrance there. The tabernacle had been there for so long that generations of people came to consider it home. Men and women lived and died and never considered the location of Shiloh They didn't think that it had an expiration date. 
the children of Israel came to think of Shiloh, the house, the place as a fixed point in their ongoing ledger of staples. No one ever believed that Shiloh would one day lay barren or that the location of the tabernacle would change. They certainly could not imagine the Ark of the Covenant stolen, never to be returned to Shiloh. All it took, ladies and gentlemen, was sin. All it took was complacency and apathy to set in. Fathers allowing their sons to live carnal without rebuke or rebuttal. Consider the word today that I preach to you. For the sake of sons... Many godly places have been lost, anointing squandered, vision blinded. And for the sake of daughters, countless holy things have been dismissed and pushed aside. There is no record that the people believed that their place would one day cease to be the house or the place. So many profound things happened at Shiloh. The glory of the eternal God was manifest there. The nation's worship convened there. Lambs and oxen, turtle doves, and all the grain offerings were given there. Blood flowed at Shiloh. The tabernacle was founded there. It had a place for its weary and well-worn bones, poles and curtains, and the packing and unpacking. It finally found rest. Homes were built around it and near it. Lives developed around it and before it. It was a relief for its caretakers who worked long hours to maintain the tabernacle. Priests ministered unto the Lord before the people in succession in Shiloh. Hannah prayed in that house. And Samuel was given to the work of it all. Samuel, in all respects, Samuel came from that house. The most profound, multidimensional leader of all time. A prophet. A judge, a high priest, the kingmaker, the national manager, the final justice of the land. Samuel grew up there. He led the nation from that place and gave, gave instruction to commanders and governors alike. Shiloh saw some of the best of its day, but things were given up and right living was removed. And as sure as I'm standing here, no one in that time ever imagined a day when all that would be left were weeds surrounded by scattered stones, a forgotten place where a tourist guide surmises and speculates of what might have been there. There is no sadder commentary than that of a holy place, a sanctuary, a life, or an entire family that once witnessed the glory of God dry up, lost with some dubious remnant of what used to be. And I preach today, if the house be lost, please don't let the house be lost. The value of the house is far greater than any one of us can imagine. It has power and authority, but it also is fragile. It is susceptible to vain influences. Its strength is in the spirit, but its weakness is in simple carnality. Jesus was in rebuttal. Ah. He was in rebuttal against those accusing scribes when he said this, and I quote, And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. They were calling him a devil who cast out devils. I know the context. But while the Lord was refuting the obvious contradictions of his accusers, by deductive reasoning, he left us with this axiom of truth. Here it is. United houses are strong. They survive storms. They survive the shifting of the seasons. United houses weather trials. They weather times of want. They last by virtue of their unity and their purity. But a divided house, they're weakened, not by outside forces over which they have no control. They are weakened by inside forces. They rupture eternally. 
the enemy has no need to cause trouble or confusion because the internal conflict is enough to make it crumble. It loses itself, and Jesus made it clear, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He's confronting his enemies, yes, but he's speaking in layers. He speaks for the moment and then transcends the moment to speak to us. Jesus calls out to both the present and the future that strength or weakness depends on the house, the viability of the house, that living or dying is determined by the house. Standing or falling is made known by the condition of the house. Go look at the three famed parables of Luke 15. The lost sheep, lost coin, and the prodigal son. The lost sheep has no determining quality. The animal is led by instinct, void of rational thought. It is soulless, led away by its own inherent tendency. It is an animal guided by amusement or distraction. The shepherd goes to find it. He seeks for the sheep because it cannot make its way back to him without him. The lost coin is an inanimate object. The owner is at fault. She has not maintained the security of her coin. It has not been cared for or secured. And though it is valuable and precious, yes, the coin is yet lifeless and sentient and incapable of feeling. The coin exists among the elements and minerals, items of use with varying applications. It will not find itself. She looks for it until it is found because it cannot make its way back on its own. But the third parable does not follow the former parables. The father in the prodigal story does not follow the pattern as the ones which came before. He does not leave the house to search for his son. He stays with the house. The second son, whom we recognize as the prodigal, left on his own accord. He thinks himself independent of his father. He devalues the labor of his father that made life good for him. He does not consider the sacrifices made to achieve the portion of his inheritance that he has so disgracefully asked for. He leaves the house because he wants to. That's called the human will. And it is the only thing that can resist the will of God. God has allowed my will to resist his will. And the reason is this. God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. God made us with the ability to reject him. He gives us the choice to stay or leave the Father's house. Every element, every animal, every wave, every sky, every body of water, every rock must bow before him. But you don't have to. Think of it. The prodigal takes what should not have been taken and gives away what he did not earn. He lost it. And that's the lesson when truth and the gospel and this word and the revelation of the mighty God in Christ comes to you with no cost. People don't mind letting it go. What costs you nothing has no meaning and has no value. When you have nothing invested, you won't consider its worth because what is not earned has no value. They are, those things are squandered and often ruined. If this, I'm preaching to you today, ah, if this holy way came to you with no cost, if it was just handed to you and you are void of effort and you gave up nothing to be here, if you have, if you've never lost a friend for the sake of the doctrine, and if you've never been left out or felt left out because you embraced a set apart life, if you were never mocked or ridiculed or belittled because of your faith, then sure, it's easy to toss it aside for inclusion. 
inclusion. You wanted to be included. Because in the mind of some, inclusion is better. If the gospel is going to cost you something. You give away your inheritance to fit in. You'll leave the house because you've not you've got no time invested there. It belonged to your parents and their parents and somebody else. It's their thing. <laughs> Unless this becomes your thing, you won't care about it. A thousand have gone that way and they found their same pitiful inn. But I rise to say among all of you, if the house be lost, we have nothing. So you gotta keep the house. You gotta maintain the house. You gotta hold on to the house. You gotta invest in the house. If you're not investing in the house, then it has no value. But you need to make some kind of investment in the house. Uh. You see, if this thing cost you something, if there was a sacrifice in the process, if you know that you've been forgiven of much. I usually can tell the people that have been forgiven of much. In fact, I usually can tell the people that have been forgiven of much recently. If you've been forgiven a long time ago, you forget why you used to act that way. But if I could just remind you a little bit of where you came from. You need to remember where you came from because some of you forgot where you came from. Hey. Mm. Hear me, if this house became a house full of people who had a good memory, you'd be less judgmental and more shouting. You'd be more, you'd be dancing, you'd be clapping, you'd be falling down. You can remember those days when you were lost in darkness and the world was closing in on you. And you were drowning and the Lord rescued you and picked you up. Then you would know the house is critical. It's important. If you were willing to sell it all and take up your cost to follow him. Then you know how precious it is. And you understand the treasure. Listen to me. Because when it comes to truth. Worth is tied to what it took for you to buy it. I'm concerned that we think of worship only as singing. That's just one definition. Yes, we worship in song. But when Abraham went up to the Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac on an altar of stone, and he drew back his dagger, Abraham said, we're going up to the mountain to worship. When he said worship, he meant sacrifice the best he had. No sacrifice, no value. No sacrifice, you don't care about it. If you don't sacrifice, you can walk away from it. See, the second son walked away. He squandered his father's savings. He abandoned the traditions of his people. He discarded the boundaries that gave him the very thing that he spent. And what did the father do? He did not chase him down. He did not leave the ninety and nine and seek for the one. He did not turn the house upside down or burn the midnight oil seeking for what was lost. No. The son was not a sheep and he was not a coin. The son was an agent of his own making. And instead of the former, the father stayed and kept the house because if the house be lost, that wayward son, hear me, would have nothing to come back to. 
it wasn't too long ago. I'm connected to so many pastors today and people tell stories and they were telling of a couple that finally came to their senses and and the, and the couple said they felt like they were prodigals that finally came to themselves and like the prodigal came to himself. We, we came to ourselves and we said we've got to get back to our church. It had been a long time. But when they went back to the church that had left years prior, the church had changed. They were listening to the lessons and sermons and the doctrine was so distorted they didn't recognize the sermons. Holiness had been abandoned. In fact, it had been scorned and mocked. Standard of living had been declared an unnecessary yoke. There were no baptisms. They had removed the baptismal area. No one was praying or receiving the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Shouting, they said, was a distraction. And dancing with the Lord was deemed offensive. They returned, but they did not recognize the place that they had left because the house had been lost. The building had stayed, but the house was gone. Can you hear me today? You can leave. You can wander away. You might stray. I I hope you don't. There's a cavity of calamity that awaits you at the end of that road. It's hard to climb out. Many never get back out. But if you do, and I don't see you, If you argue and debate against this apostolic truth until it means nothing and you would rather blend in with the common than stand out like a peculiar holy nation, people, a royal priesthood. If you choose carnality, hear me today. I'm not into Christmas. We just did that. Come on, we're done with that, right? You're done with that. Except for the bills that you... Come on, you got this right. You know, two and a half days with the family... And you figured it out, right? That's enough. That's it. No, we got to get serious. I feel in my spirit the time is very close. We're clicking the time away. The pressing. You think the government's going to stop mandating the things you're going through now? They're just opening up the door for more mandates. They're not coming after your health. They're coming after your faith. better watch it now they're coming after your worship they're coming after your praise they're coming after your singing they're coming after your god hey yeah you could leave if you choose carnality many have or an offense because there's a lot of ways to be offended or the wrong crowd because the wrong crowd could be sitting in the same building you're in just know this If you leave, we're not giving up the house. We're keeping the house. We're going to keep it. Uh, I feel led in the Holy Spirit that we have yet to see many people come to themselves. We have yet to see it that when he came to himself, there are going to be people coming to themselves. And yet, if they do, or when they do, what shall they return to? What is this about? 
Will they recognize what they left a long time ago? Or will we as a body abandon the truth and search for community approval? I hope you're hearing this. I pray for our church that we will not leave the fundamental truth that has been given to us. Whether you are a new believer are new to new life or you are a generational what we have is a treasure the knowledge of the apostolic doctrine found in the bible we don't determine the treasure it will always be treasurable and valuable if we give it away it'll still have worth but it'll have worth to somebody else jesus said it like this Beloved, when I, I'm sorry, Jude said it like this. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, Jude, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Contend. The Greek word is, uh, the number is 1864. I'll try to pronounce it for you. Contend. Epigod Nazimi. And it means to struggle. To contend to struggle like wrestling, holding, grappling, not letting go. To contend, to struggle for it. I'd like a relationship with somebody in here. I love a good friendship, but I'm not going to give up the house to make that possible. Fellowship is a good thing, but not at the cost of the house. Confrontations are sometimes needful but not at the cost of the house making your point and getting your way i get it but don't hurt the house and you might think that we will all exist until jesus comes and that nothing can destroy us but without it but without adherence to righteousness and the bible and unto the faith if we lose that you know, you'll be ending up you'll end up standing like a spectator Listening to a tour guide who points out and points to these buildings and says, yes, years ago in this corner, there was thought to be a location of a powerful apostolic church where lives were changed and destinies were altered. But, but fathers did not guide their sons in honesty and integrity. They didn't put boundaries around their sons and their sons became carnal and corrupted. There were a lot of improprieties and mothers Mothers, well, they introduced fashion trends to their daughters so that they could look sexy. They all started following the world's concepts. And people argued in that house. They hated each other over nothing. And they stopped serving one another. And they all just assumed that the glory of God would always fall, so they stopped praying. Let me put it this way. No one wanted to sign up for prayer because they didn't like that commitment. So they stopped sacrificing and giving because they determined what the church needed instead of what they needed to give. And they stopped contending. They let go the struggle. If it was a little too hard, they just quit. Hear me. If the house be lost, tell me. Tell me someone that the house will not be lost. Tell, tell me. Young adults. Hear me, young adults. Tell me that you won't give up the house. God spoke through Jeremiah. He confronted those stubborn leaders of Judah. All of them believed in their standing more than they obeyed the voice of the prophet. They liked what they had. They had a temple in those days, but they did not have the glory. They had Jerusalem. Think of that. They had all the promises, but they were unfaithful and they were flagrant with their walk with God. Mm -hmm. 
And Jeremiah relayed God's word to those men in Jeremiah 7 and 12. Go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh. Read it. Where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. Go look at Shiloh. It's barren. It's empty. It has nothing. It just has weeds in it. Because you didn't keep it. There's more. Because the house is not just a location. Take a look at 11.7 of Hebrews. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Now that's not the fear of being afraid. That's the fear of respect and honor and of trepidation, knowing something's about to happen. He prepared an ark, what? To the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world. When he saved his house, he condemned the world. He became the heir of righteousness when he saved his house. That is not the only time in the scripture that the house refers to the family. Noah built an ark to save his family because your house is your family. And I ask you, what are you building to save your house? Media and entertainment won't save them. It could corrupt them. Sporting events will take you out of church. How many times have I said it over and over again? When sporting events come, parents stop coming to church to, tra- to play travel ball. Not a few of our families are not here today because they love sports more than they love Bible study. I'm sorry, I've got uh, uh, sharpened. Uh, corona made me edgy. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to everybody on at home, here pastor at home. If you're watching this live or, or, or a couple days later, hear me. You better get your house in order. What are you building to save your home? Your house is at stake. Don't let the house be lost. Good times and vacations. I get it. We all need a little vacation. If you want to go to Florida, fine. It's, you can go get the corona in Florida. Uh. All those things are not going to seal up the cracks. They're not going to stop the things, the house and bodies of people you say you love. Can I preach a little bit in this place? Eli lost his house. Hophni and Phinehas stained the very garments they wore. And ultimately, the greater house was lost. Shiloh disappeared because one house stands on the integrity of the other house. This house is only viable by your house. A house divided cannot stand. The house of Eli dismantled the house in Shiloh. Don't lose your house. If you gain all the money and your children are lost, what have you gained? Zero. You don't even know the cost of backslidden children. If you gain all the wealth and fame and lose your own soul, I ask you, what have you gained? When the tabernacle was gone, three and a half centuries later, a settled place, that high knoll, that place called Shiloh, now it's grown up with grass and weeds. When it's gone, so too the house was gone. Hear me? You cannot lose the house. The Bible goes a little bit deeper, and I won't labor here long now. 
Abraham has died. Isaac has died. Jacob is now an old man. He's at the end. He's about to die. He calls his 12 sons to stand before him. Jacob will give us the ultimate description of Shiloh. It's a very interesting thing that he calls out this name. He calls it out long before we understand it. When it could, what could only be a prophetic word coming from the mouth of Jacob, who is about to die, he will prophesy to his sons and then find Judah. He will speak to Judah a prophecy. It was a deathbed prophecy. It came from God. It had to come from God. He could not have known. He, he was forecasting thousands of years in the future. And then he was forecasting multiple thousands. And he said to Judah, obviously this would be someone who came from Judah. And he said, and I'll just read one of the verses. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Jacob said this. The scepter. Nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him, Shiloh, Shiloh now was a person. Unto him shall be the gathering of all the people. And Shiloh is now referencing the coming Messiah, Jesus, to be exact. His robes, Jacob said, will be washed in blood. He enters on a donkey. He comes from the tribe of Judah. The scepter, a monarch, a king eternal, the lawgiver. He will gather all the people. That's the end of time. Shiloh will come. So Shiloh now is more than a location. It's more than the doctrine. It's more than a family. The house is more than all of that. It was a Masonic prophecy of the coming King Jesus. And we found him. And you have him. And you're holding him. And you speak his name today. But all we like sheep are apt to go to our own way. You have the Alpha and the Omega. The incarnate God. You have him. But you're at the, you're at the precipice of letting him go or deluding him until he's no longer Shiloh. I say today, I got no time to waste. I've got to preach the word with anointing. i got to live purposely for the kingdom. Every day is critical. I, we don't have one day to lose. Whether it's your house or the house that I have the Holy Spirit invested in or the doctrine or the tenets of the house or the Messiah himself. I cannot afford to lose any of that. And if the house be lost, we got nothing. We've got nothing. Do you know how many churches exist today without the Spirit? They are spiritless. There are good people that love God, but they don't even know what the Spirit is. They're led by manuals. They're led by bullet points. They're led by trends and society and fashion designs. But they're not led by the Spirit. we got to be led by the Spirit. We cannot afford to lose the house. I'll say it again. One of my friends was in Texas and he, he went to visit a place and, and he said, he said, uh, the man got up to preach and, and, and the man was a guest speaker and the choir was, it was still in the choir loft. And, and as he was preaching, he said something about the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And the youth pastor's wife was in the choir and she leaned forward and she turned to a couple of people there in the choir. She said, this was a apostolic Pentecostal tongue talking church for years. She turned to them and said, what's speaking in tongues? What is that? I've never heard that. 
What is that? Are you telling me that you'll live all this life, but your grandchildren don't even know what baptism is and they've never even heard of speaking in tongues? Are, are we so refined? Are we now the aristocrats that we have now left all of this? Do you think that was, that was nothing? The only reason why you have an inheritance today is because somebody was laboring in this thing and praying midnight prayers and seeking God and they kept the house and they protected the doctrine. Come on, you got to be determined today. I'm not leaving this day without keeping the house. I'm going to secure it. Yay. Come on, stand now to your feet. I want everybody to lift up your voice to God. I want you to cry out to God with all of your heart. I want you to make a pledge and a declaration. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There was a group of people out west. They had a thriving church. The leadership of the church decided that to get more people to come to the church, they needed to make some adjustments. So they decided to become a seeker-friendly church, which is just really another term to, to make the Bible palatable to people instead of us adjusting to the word they they adjusted the preaching so that it would welcome more folks it worked for a little while they talked about how they were growing one man said we're going to skip all of the struggle there's no need to struggle obviously he didn't read Jude he stopped contending he stopped struggling You're going to struggle, parents, with your kids. Embrace the struggle. Go ahead. Embrace the struggle. It's a good fight. (laughs) You're continuing for the faith. Just keep struggling. I don't think there's one family in here that has a struggle with their kids. No, we're going to go to church. No, we're not going to do that. This is what we're going to do. No, we're not going to watch that. No, we're not going to say that. No. No, we ain't smoking that. We ain't drinking that. And you ain't dating her. Keep struggling. Come on. Keep struggling. Keep struggling. It's okay. Come on. Contend for it. You got to keep. You got to keep it. You got to keep it. If you don't keep it, we lost it all. You ain't struggling. We're lost. That's right. That's right. If your spouse gets down, you pick them up. You pick them up. Take turns being depressed. That's right. Take turns. Don't, don't be depressed to say this is my day. You get it tomorrow. And you get up and you say, we're going to church. We're going to go to prayer. You get up to your table and you open up the Bible and say, we're going to read a little bit today. Struggle through it. You keep struggling through it. It's okay. You're, you're contending for something greater than you. You're holding on to something. 
Come on, if you're tired and you're weary and you're wore out, you carve out 10 minutes of your day, at least 10 minutes of your day, and you open up a Bible every day of the year, and you read a little scripture and spend time with God. Struggle through it. That's right, that's right, that's right. But of course... As the seasons change and those people got into that spiritless church and no faith and no doctrine and pretty soon, of course, there was lust that took over. You see, because when there's no boundaries, there are no boundaries. <laughs> and people started to filter away and leave. And, and now the church that once was a powerful church that diluted everything they lost the house and that beautiful building has become a Kiwanis club. You can drive into that city and there's no place in that city that represents what you have here but there is a Kiwanis club. And if I took you by it I would be like the tourist guide and say a long time ago people were healed in that building. People lay down the floor spoke in tongues families were restored people were finding God. But if the house be lost <laughs> 